Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Give God a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says even the gifts of the Spirit, they're like clanging cymbals and just loud noise if you don't have love. So if some of you are like, this is just loud noise, maybe you need love in your heart right now. In fact, um, there, there are times when praise becomes insult to our mourning. And a good God can insult you in a bad season because he calls you from a place of feeling into the spirit and says, you're not going to rejoice on your own strength. You're not going to use your own love or your own ability, but you're going to praise me because we'll do it this way. I'm a good, good father. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. We just thank you to God today for all that you're doing in this campus, for every individual that came in here. We are all in desperate need of your sufficient grace. We bring our deficiencies, God, and say you are sufficient. You are all-knowing. You are all-loving. You are all-powerful. Speak to your people like only you can. Let the word be planted in their heart, and let your fruit, the fruit of your spirit, be manifested in each and everyone's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church sit. You can remain standing for one moment. Genesis chapter 45. Today we're going to be talking about reviving the spirit of a father. Reviving the spirit of a father. Genesis 45, number 25 through 27. And they left Egypt and returned to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him. And he's a governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob, the father was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons, amen, that's so cool, wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. I went from Bible days to Old Western days in my head. That's why it was cool. But then Jacob exclaimed, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. Say something nice to your neighbor, and then you can have a seat. Fortnite. Anyone know what Fortnite is? Okay, there you go. Are you an adult and you play Fortnite? Okay, Fortnite is something that is pretty much the idolatry that takes place in my house with my kids right now. And what happens is we try to get ready for things. We try to go places. We want to go to SeaWorld. We want to get out and about. We want to go to the beach, Pacific Beach. Amen. If, if it's too busy, we go to Coronado. If it's too busy, we call Kenny to get on the military base, Coronado. Amen. But in our attempt to get ready, before we get ready, there's always this fight between uh, my older son and the middle child about Fortnite. And they have this weird language like, he took my skins and he, he did this and he did that. And, and now we have cameras in the garage, so we verify what they say. I recommend it as a parent, if you learn anything today, just get cameras on your children and it will verify all the lies they tell you each and every day. We get them ready. They fight the whole way. I'm a patient, uh, patient father, so, you know, my wife, she's not as patient me, as me. She's still growing in that area. Um, so, you know, we'll go to SeaWorld, for example, and at SeaWorld, we're, like, running, and it's hot, and, and, and I get tired easy. If I don't, I get hangry. Anybody get hangry? Jesus, amen. 
So we're walking around. The kids are fighting. They're crying. They're spitting. They're doing weird things. They're saying weird things. Me and the wife, we're like, we're, we're, we're not we're talking with our eyes. We're like looking at each other. We're, we're glaring like we're about to go at it, but we can't go at it in front of the kids. So we do little jabs like that they wouldn't understand. It's kid code fighting and we fight that way. But before we leave, what we do is we get in front of a waterfall and we snap a picture for Instagram. And it says, wonderful day with the family. Anybody have family dynamics that you, you deal with? And you lie to Instagram and tell them it was a wonderful day with the family. When we think of Jacob and Joseph, we think of a pretty interesting family dynamic of some brothers who were jealous of him and sold him into slavery. And the father and the son had been separated from for some time. And in the latter verses that I read, it is the father finding out that the son is actually alive. And it's an amazing testament that even though Joseph's father wasn't in his life, that uh, the absence of a father didn't hold him back from success because you don't actually need a father to be successful. You just need the father to be successful. And God will elevate you beyond our dysfunctional family. Thank you, Jesus. If it was determined on my bloodline, I would be in trouble. But thank God for the blood (laughs) in Jesus' name. I tried to look up my family tree, and there was, like, prison, and the, the Alcatraz, Anglin brothers, they escaped. I said, thank God for the blood. The story of Joseph is this redemption of the father and the son. Genesis 45, 27, when they told him all the words which Joseph, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Grace is often revealed in how we treat people in our lives that deserve it the least. And I I like to say this, um, Mother's Day is one of the most attended church services of the year, while Father's Day is one of the least attended church services of the year, probably because they're at the uh, World Cup. but. (laughs) But I've noticed that when, when God begins to come and and do something in our hearts and lives, I understand that fathers have a place in their life and issues in their life where we wrap ourselves and our identity around things that are less than God. And if you were just scanned through your social media today, you would have saw people who are devastated by Father's Day because their father has passed away. And then you see all the Nice people with normal dads who have nice photos. Anyone have a normal dad in the house? Amen, two of you, thank God. And you see all these photos and you see the good dads and the bad dads. I want to say this, uh, when we read the Old Testament scripture, you see the Jewish people celebrating days and festivals and things like that. And we've kind of modernized that in a way that we also have made religion of days. Under the law system, we celebrate special days, but under the grace system, we celebrate special people because of who Jesus is. And we never let a day define who we are. So we're able to recognize a day, but not, we don't let a day define who we are. And so when we come here, we all come as 
broken people understanding that we are in desperate need of a father. We are in desperate need of God's grace. James 4.2 says, uh, the question that I would ask to every family uh, that is here today, why is there so much quarreling amongst us? Is it not the desires that we battle within? Every fight that we have is not a fight that starts outside of us. It is a fight inside of us. In fact, you think you're fighting somebody over a specific topic, but you're really fighting the desire of somebody. Because when a man feels disrespected, you are going to see that desire manifest into a fight. When a woman feels unloved, you're going to see that desire to be loved manifest into the fight. Why is there so much fighting amongst you? Is it not these desires that we have within? When we understand humanity and we understand that man was made from the dirt, and God resurrected man and breathed into, into the dirt, and man became a living soul. And the curse of man became the curse of the ground. And when man starts toiling in the ground, the real toil that he has is the reflection within himself. It's not the dirt that he's fighting with. It's the dirt in him that he's fighting with. It's the significance to make something, to do something, to be something, to make a name for yourself, to produce in life. Because if we don't produce in life, then we won't be adequate it is not the dirt outside of us that is the real curse. That is just the reflection. The dirt inside of us is always the issue that we are fighting. When we have a father issue, daddy issues, we are really giving way to that we have, let me say it this way, when you have a future issue, it is a reflection that you have a father issue. Because the father is the one who has the plan. And so when we become anxious and when we complain about our future and we don't know what's ahead and we try to achieve our own significance, when we go that route, we are saying we don't find value in our Father, so we have to go create our own future. 1 Peter 2.4 talks about partaking of the divine nature of the Father. This means then that our Father is not this separate entity from us that says, uh, I need your protection, God, because I want you to beat my little brother up. I need your provision, God. Hook me up with money. But when we partake of the nature of the Father, we partake of the provision that is in the nature of the Father. And when we partake of the nature of the Father, we are partaking of the protection that is in the nature of the Father. And so you have to ask yourself, what was the Father's purpose with my life? And I don't know your story, but for me, I did not have kids as a father so they would sing my praise. Kids, come up to the door, knock, sing how great thou art three times, lift your hands really high, shed a tear, and you shall enter. Amen. Some of you parent that way. Okay. I did not have children to send them in the neighborhood to, to evangelize for me, to tell them how good their father is. My kid's knocking on the door. My, my dad is so good. You should come to our house. My dad is amazing. My dad is better than yours. It's true, son. You just can't tell the neighbors that. 
I did not have kids so I can have an empty fridge and say, fast for 40 days to show me how faithful you are to me. But when it comes to our Heavenly Father, we often think that he made us in his image to do things like this for him. But he made us in his image to share his quality of life with us. And he made us in his image so that we could have relationship with him and in him, not apart and from him. And when you understand that we are growing in the nature of our father, the Christian growth is growing in the nature of your father. 1 Peter 2, 4, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up in our salvation. What does growing up in your salvation mean? It simply means that we are partaking of the divine nature and we are growing up in his nature. Some of you are saved. You just need to grow up in his nature. That thing, when you got saved, you got all that God has for you. And you will spend the rest of your life discovering it. I'll give you an example. When I was four years old, they said, oh, that's your girlfriend. I said, gross. When I was seven years old, gross. Eight years old, it's just a friend. Twelve years old, I love her. Why do you try to control my life? It is the nature being revealed over time. And the more you grow in God's grace, the more he releases you into the nature of who he is. When he made us, he made us in his image, which means we are not called to create image. We are called to reflect image. And when we, we look in the mirror, we don't see us. We see a reflection of us. So when we look to the Father, we don't just see us. We see the reflection of the Father's nature in us. And we can do all things in Christ Jesus because we look to the Father's nature. He's made us a new creature in Christ Jesus, which means that old nature has passed away, and now we have grown up in our salvation. We've grown up into the new nature of God. What is the relationship with the Father? It is discovering. Relationship is all about a discovery, not just a knowing, but a discovery process. The Bible says that, oh, that I would know him in the fellowship of his suffering and also in the power of his resurrection. Because some of us have a theology of our father that if you're a Christian, everything is good all the time. The power of resurrection, you can do it, you can overcome. If you focus, if you stay positive, if you say the right things. But some of us know the father that we've been through cancer, we've been through battles, we've experienced depression, we've experienced relational failure. But I want you to know that there is a lot more to know about your father than the one side you know about him. There's a lot more relationship. It is not just about doom in life, and it's not just about gloom, and it's not just about glory. It is about all that life has for you, revealing to you who the Father is in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance. If you're in a dark season, Lord, let me know you in the intimate places of my life. If you're in a happy and joyful season and everything seems to be going right, Lord, help me to stay humble in, in, in this season and to know you in your glory and in the power of your resurrection. To know the nature of the Father, to grow in your purpose and in his grace, in your outline, how to heal and revive the spirit of a father. Number one, 
help him hope again. And for the women, so you don't feel left out, help her hope again. For the women that want a man, help him hope again. Amen. Genesis 45, 26, Joseph's brother told Jacob, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Job 14 says, there is a hope for a tree that has been cut down. It can come back to life, sprout, even though its roots grow old and its stump dies in the ground, yet at the scent of water, it will sprout like a young plant. Water always provides strength to the root. And it's not about how fruitful you are. It's about how planted you are. Your hope is not in what you see. Your hope is where your hope is located. I mentioned it last week, but the movie Castaway, and I called the ball Wilson, and you guys said, Spalding! Spalding? Do you guys remember Castaway, Spalding? Oh, Wilson. Okay, you guys remember then. <laughs> the same group did it. Amen. That's so funny. Okay. So he's out there, and because he's rejected and he's a castaway, he makes a relationship with Wilson, the volleyball. And he starts putting his hope in Wilson, and he starts talking to Wilson because he feels so hopeless. And we think that's ridiculous, but the further you are from Christ and the more rejected and cast away you feel, the more you start making relationships with things that don't have the power to give you any relationship back. And we start putting and tying our hope into things that are actually really, at the end of the day, hopeless. And we start calling money hope. And we start calling jobs hope. And we start calling cars blessings. I say it like this. Blessings don't rust and blessings don't get repoed. The blessing is in the transportation, but our hope is not in objects. Our hope is in Christ because the moment we shift our hope from Christ to other things, we begin to tie our hope to things that will ultimately disappoint us. And we begin to develop our identity in different ways. Uh, Image-based identity, for example, I'm significant because I look good. A performance-based identity, I'm valuable because I work hard. An approval-based identity, I'm important because people like me. A power-based identity, I'm important because I have control and influence. A help-based identity, I have meaning because people depend on me. Isn't that amazing that even your ministry can become your identity and your God? Material-based identity, I'm worthwhile because of my status and wealth. And family-based identity, I'm justified because my parents, spouse, and children respect me. How many of you today have just built your identity on your family respecting you? On your kids turning out okay? When your kids do something bad, that is a reflection of you. And when they do something good, that is a reflection of you. And you build your identity in your children and in your failed or succeeding marriage That is not a place in which we were to put our hope ever. Our hope is not in what we see or don't see. Our hope is that God will restore. God turns the heart of youth and families. God turns the heart. We can't turn hearts. God turns the hearts. We can manipulate hearts, but whatever you manipulate to get, you have to manipulate to keep. But only God has the power to turn hearts. Your father has the power 
to turn hearts. I want hope. Hope in Jesus. Don't say, I want fruit. Say, I want hope. Because when you're in Jesus, effortlessly, his spirit begins to be, uh, produce fruit in your life. And I want to say something crazy and a little random. But it was necessary that Joseph was betrayed to be exalted. And it was necessary that the father and the son were estranged and had a strained relationship. Because God tells a story, and it's not a good story unless there's some tragedy. Because tragedy in God's story always equals redemption. As long as you know it's a chapter and not the end of the story. I don't want you to have faith and have hope in your chapter. I want you to have hope in your author who finishes the story well. Don't get to a line and say, God, you must not like me. God, you must, why are you making me go through this? You don't, you don't do this. You don't do that. He's writing a story, and he is the author and finisher of your faith, which means we're just characters. We're not authors. So put the pen down and let God do what he does best because he sees the end from the beginning. He wrote with your end in mind, and good news, at the end, you win. Through the struggle, through the strife, through the addiction, through the pain, through the hurt, through the relational conflict, at the end, in Jesus, you win. Don't be the character that complains. Be the character that gives God the glory because you have hope in the right place. Number two, help him believe again. Help him Believe again. When Joseph's brother told Jacob all the words which Joseph had said to them, when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Israel said, now I believe you, my son Joseph is still alive. I'm going to see him before I die. Let me tell you, everyone here has a measure of faith. Even if you have doubt, that's just, that's just bad faith. But whatever you believe in, you begin to animate in your life. Souls kids, I saw them running around with, with their team on their jersey. In fact, some of you, you're watching the game on, on your phone. Because you believe. <laughs> it's okay, Ashley. You graduate. It's awesome. <laughs> and, it's not, and it's not that you don't believe in them. You believe in a team that is a country away. But they are animated into your presence. And when you feel like God is far away, I want to tell you, when you believe in God, when you believe in your spouse, your spouse begins to take on your quality. You begin to take on your spouse's qualities. When you believe in your dog, do you know your dog, if your dog believes in you, your dog starts acting like the owner? That's why your dog's crazy. Amen. And when your wife believes in you, she begins to animate you. And that's called union in marriage. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to be animated in you. And you begin to live the life that Christ has called you to live. The Father couldn't believe. He was surprised by grace. And God is so, I know we say, you know, faith is not about seeing. But God's so gracious that at the end, he'll show you to say, you know what? Even though you had doubt, I was good beyond your bad faith. I wasn't depending on the strength of your faith. 
It's in the strength of your Savior, not the strength of your faith. I can even use your weak faith to make great things happen. This isn't my plan. You're like, oh, I don't have faith today. Just keep showing up because God is God. You're not God. He doesn't even need your weak faith. You're like, if I believe harder, if I believe more. No, just bring your doubt and submit your doubt to God and see if God won't turn that doubt in the right direction and animate the life that he's called you to live. Like, I believe that I will die. I believe that tragedy's on my way. You know what God says? Give me that doubt because that's faith in the wrong thing. Put your faith in me and I'll show you things that you haven't seen in a long time. Hopeless places, hopeless children, children that I thought were dead and gone, uh, relatives that I thought were out of the picture, but all of a sudden things began to show up. There's a, a, a real story of my sister, uh, one of my sisters. I have tons of siblings all over. God bless my father. Um, spread a seed across the land. But anyway, there was one sister that we, we were separated, and she was uh, six, four years old at the time, four to six years old at the time when we were separated. And my, my dad and myself, we'd always pray that God would reunite us. We couldn't find her. It was before Facebook was cool and all that. We could you can research anybody now. You just type their name. But but before then you had to get private investigators and things like that. And it didn't work. And we were from Bakersfield. Several years, almost 10 years later, um, through all those prayers, I uh in Rancho Bernardo I got out and I was walking across the street and I got in my car and I was driving by the Vaughns and my little sister walked right in front of me with her mother. And I saw the prayers of 10 years come to pass in one moment. And God said, you know what? Just keep believing. You know what? I gave up on the prayer. But God didn't forget the prayer that I gave up on. And I want to encourage you today. Keep believing because God has not given up on the prayer that you've given up on. God remembers prayers that you prayed, that you've dismissed. And he's still going to bring them to pass. You're like, it's too late now. I've lost too much. God's going to make things show up in your life that you used to pray for, that you've suppressed so much, that you don't believe for anymore. Disappointment has overcome your heart, but God's going to make that thing show up again. Your heart's going to beat again. You're going to believe again, and you're going to go to new places in this season in your life. I want to challenge you, every father, every mother, to believe again that God can bring the Jacob in your life to show you what you thought was dead is not dead. Number three, and in closing, help him dream again. Help him dream again. Genesis 46, 29 through 30, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to meet his father, Jacob. And when Joseph arrived, he embraced the father and wept, holding him for a long time. When you're reunited with something that you didn't have hope for, I love this moment because it's not about being a macho man without tears, but he's holding and embracing and weeping. He held him for a long time. I know we're in a busy culture where a long time is something we don't give up. But I want to encourage you, it's not just that we have absent fathers in this day, but we have absent, we have present fathers with absent values. And we miss so many moments, including myself, 
because of technology and because of the worries of life. But I would encourage you to not wait till you lose something to be redeemed to it before you hold it. But whatever you have in your life right now, hold it like you lost it because you won't lose it if you hold it. Don't, don't love something after it's gone. Love something that God has given you because a loss shouldn't reveal your love. Your love should be revealed. And he held him and he wept. And finally Jacob said, Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen your face again. And now you are still alive. Acts 2.17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. This will I pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I don't know about you, but for me, I've had seasons in my life where my father's been a great father. We went camping. We went fishing. Then I've had seasons in my life where my dad went from pastor to drug addict to halfway nice guy to nice guy to bad guy. Some, some of you are like, you have just a consistent father. I got five personalities in one. And what I've realized is the more children I have is that God has an anointing and he calls us to be fathers. And it's not just, a, not just a role or just something that society does, but there are also spiritual fathers. And the role of spiritual fathers is not to entertain, it's not to get self-glory, but to shepherd the people, to raise them up, to call them into their purpose. I, uh, I believe God spoke to me <clears throat> the other day when we went for family vacation to Bakersfield. <laughs> Amen. We were there, and my, my late wife, she passed away six years ago, but I, I woke up, and I became very concerned, and I haven't thought about this in six years, but I became concerned that the grave was dirty. And so I became a little bit anxious that I needed to go and clean the grave out of honor. And I called her brother and said, when's the last time someone went to the grave? And she said, or he said, actually... My dad has been there every week for the last six years cleaning the grave. He doesn't take Instagram photos. He's not doing it for his glory. He will never get love back, but he goes to serve. It is the heart of the Father to love us while we were yet sinners in our death, in our inability, not for his glory but to bring us back to life because he only gets glory when we get life. And he keeps serving us and keep loving us and he keeps loving us even in our death. Even in our dead thinking, even in our dead ways, even in our dead attitudes, he keeps serving and loving. I, I felt it in my spirit that, you know, every now and again, as a human, I wake up and I'm like, man, I got to go repent. I got to go get things right and do things right. And, man, I need to straighten my act up. I got to start going to church more than once a, once a month or twice a year. I, I got to start. I need to join a life group. I, I, need to do, I need to read my Bible. And you open the Bible to Leviticus. You're like, Jesus, I need to clean this thing up. I need to clean up my grave. I need to clean up my act. Like, Jesus, I'm here to get cleaned up. 
here to be a better father and family man, and I want to improve my life, and I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to do this. I'm, uh, I'm, re- I'm here to do it. Jesus, I, I want to be better. <laughs> that anxiety of, I just need to get better. I just, maybe if, I, if we do two services, maybe you'll be better. Maybe if the church takes all your time, you won't have time to do dumb stuff. That was their plan with me. It worked. Maybe if you just read more Bible, you're not praying the right way. You need to learn to pray in Hebrew. You ain't wearing the prayer shawl. The father says, hold up. I've been serving and loving you even when you didn't know what I was doing. I've been faithful to you. I've been in your dead place, and you haven't even realized it every day. And what you've been trying to clean up, I've been cleaning up after you this whole time, day after day. I didn't make an announcement. I didn't make a declaration, but I've been loving you back to life. And the only reason you have the feeling and the urge to go and clean yourself up is because you're coming back to life enough to realize what I've done for you. God is convincing you every day of his love for you. But it's real hard for dead people to realize what love looks like. Can we stand? The job of the Father is not for you to come sing his praise. But as a father, I sing praise over my children. And so in Zephaniah... The Bible says that God sang over the people. You know why we sing in worship? Because he sang over us first. Do you know why we're able to lift our hands and say, thank you, Jesus? Because Jesus already said, thank you for my children. We are echoing the love of the Father. We are living a love-shaped life. I need to go clean this thing. I need to be more honorable. I need to... I need to do something to, to, to make this right. The Father has been making it right in your life. He's been serving you and loving you. The irresistible grace of God has been the hound of heaven, has been stalking you, chasing you, pursuing you, talking to you, going after you each and every day. I know our stubborn, hardened hearts. I know our busy schedules. I know our life has already been shaped by culture, and to think a whole nother way would be such an interference. But nothing is more powerful in this life than to know and grow in the nature of your Father. The purpose of your life is to grow in the nature of your father. The way your father is to you, we don't look to our father to tell us who Jesus is. We look to Jesus as our father to tell us who our relationships are in life. Oh, my dad was mean, so God's mean. My dad was strict, so God's strict. Oh, uh, people are not our measurement. 
Jesus has freely and fully loved us to serve and freely love other people. God, in the name of Jesus, we speak over everybody in this house today. Even while we were yet sinners in our trespasses, dead in transgression. You've kept serving, you've kept loving, you've kept keeping, you've held things together that we've tried to break. The sabotage we've tried to put over our life, you have kept mending and holding and bringing back together. You've kept reconciling back unto yourself. We pray over every individual. God, I ask every man if you would just step forward. If you just step forward, I'd like to pray over every man. God, in the name. God, in the name of Jesus. We rest in you. Every man up here today. Every man up here today. Every man up here today. You have a father. And your father wants you to grow in his nature. And the more you grow in his nature, the more freedom you find in your life. Every insecurity, every ego, every prideful thing that separates us from relationships. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. The spirit of Jacob, where he wept and he held. He wept and he held. He didn't hold on to criticism. He didn't hold on to old thought process. He didn't hold on to bitterness and hold on to grudges. But he held on to the promise of God, what his son, he held on. I want you to hold on to Jesus today. God, I pray in the name of Jesus over every man, over every situation, over every circumstance in their life. You are the author. You are the finisher of our faith. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, the spirit of humility, the spirit of humility to rest on every man. Let me give you a secret, man. Let me give you a secret as you continue to close your eyes and stay in the spirit of prayer. One of the biggest challenges I've experienced with men is men don't open themselves. And because they don't open themselves in the spirit of humility, they only receive from certain people. And their life never elevates because they always are on guard. They're not prote- you're not protecting anyone else. You're trying to protect yourself, but you're keeping yourself from the blessings that God has for you. You have to have a teachable spirit. And the only way to have a teachable spirit is to have the spirit of humility. And when you have the spirit of humility, God begins to bring relationship into your life and impart things into your life and begins to grow you in ways you couldn't imagine. But you have to be vulnerable. You have to be transparent. But you can only do that through the power of the spirit. I want every hand lifted, all the men, as an antenna you receiving today. I pray that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit to produce in you the spirit of humility to produce in you the spirit of humility, to have a teachable spirit, to have a faithful character. The spirit forms a faithful character in you, a teachable spirit.
an available attitude, an agreeable spirit. God, that you would raise men up, faithful and dependable men, to carry forth the words that you have spoken over them. We pray the spirit of forgiveness. You don't have the power or the ability within yourself to forgive, but the spirit produces forgiveness in you today. And whoever you need to give that to, the spirit has supplied to you today forgiveness of every sin, of condemnation, of self-torture and self-punishment. You are free by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are free by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Psalms 144.12 says, Our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. So we commission every parent here to continue nurturing your children spiritually. And that our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. That we would continue and we commission you to continue to raise the beauty of your daughters. We are about youth and families here at this church, sons and daughters. May God give you the grace to be the parent that you are called to be. And may God keep and protect your children. May no sickness come to them. May disease stay from your house. May they be protected in all their endeavors. May they prosper in the things of God. May your family find peace today to walk in the wisdom of God, to be led by the power of the Spirit. May your family so prosper in every area of its life. For every conflict, may it be washed away today. Through every internal desire and unfulfilled expectation, may it be thrown on the altar and may the love of Christ that has pursued your family so indwell in you and change and shape your home like never before. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we commission you as a family to be whole and to be free. In Jesus' name, let the church say it. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise.